It has been said that we are but one generation away from forgetting our history. Welcome to American Heroes Network, where we serve our American tradition with Gary Ray. In our program, you will hear firsthand the personal accounts of heroes whose unselfish actions have contributed to the traditions and values that represent the soul of America. You'll also hear from our partners and affiliations presenting news events and ways that our veterans and their families can rebuild their lives. Now, here is Gary Ray. Today is December 5th, 2017. Good morning and welcome to the American Heroes Network Radio. As always, my co-host, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Forbes, U.S. Army Retired. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Gary, and as always, it's great to be with you. All right, thank you. We also have with us this morning Staff Sergeant Charles Eggleston, United States Army. He served multiple tours of duty in Iraq and is a Purple Heart and Bronze Star recipient. Staff Sergeant Eggleston also served as the Maryland State Commander for the Military Order of the Purple Heart, and he mentors and helps other wounded warriors with TBI, PTSD, rehabilitation through the game of golf. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning. How you doing? All right. All right. And is everybody ready for Christmas? I'm not. Yeah, we're getting there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. We're going to be getting to our guests real soon. But first, what I'd like to share with you, we like promoting great nonprofits and helping out uh, when we can. A couple months ago, we did have Commander Dennis Baker with us. Now, Baker is currently president of the Florida Veterans Foundation. If you are a veteran, be sure to check this foundation out. The Florida Veterans Foundation team is one of the hardest working veteran advocate teams in the state of Florida. They are composed of volunteer chairmen and board of directors. The majority of the foundation actually are retired military disabled veterans who donate over 40 hours per week of their time to assist and help guide the Florida veterans through the issues they face today. Whether it's access to health care, education, jobs, VA benefits, their directors are there to help. Now, Bill, you before we always get to, before we get to our guests, we always sort of uh, share some news that you found. Now, uh, just recently you found, uh, I guess, some talk that's coming up with changes in the GI Bill. What's going on there? Well, uh, Gary, the uh, GI Bill is uh, is uh, opening up here in a new uh, uh, way. It is doing business. As you know, uh, there was a 15-year uh, time limit to use of the GI Bill. That has now been uh, eliminated, uh, which is great. Uh, the uh, GI Bill... Uh, Benefits now restored to those who attended some colleges that had closed. Uh, they may uh, continue to p- uh, participate with that also. And uh, something really interesting here, most of the uh, or many uh, folks that uh, who are in the Guard and Reserve uh, are now eligible. And the uh-huh. um, uh, online technical training is available now. Uh, there's a change that's going to be uh, uh, come about in 2018. That's uh, probably less than a month away. And the new uh, recipients, the new recipients coming in, will get smaller housing allowance. Uh, uh, we announced uh, our two guests today who, uh, who are Purple Heart recipients, and they all will receive. Uh, full benefits, uh, the uh, well, Purple Heart recipients, 
and that uh, the uh, dependent education assistance program will be available to uh, uh, the spouses and with uh, about a 50% increase. Uh, so there's a numerous amount of changes here that are coming about, all positive, and hopefully we, uh, we would uh, want all of those who are eligible to uh, participate in this. All right. A couple months back, we talked about uh, some changes uh, on the GI Bill. Now, as, as far as um, there was a percentage, did that ever go through that they were going to charge to use the GI Bill? Uh, that uh, is not included in this uh, in this recent notification. Okay. All right. Well, okay, you have to keep an eye on that. Now, again, you have another story for us. The story we hear way too often, and that's surviving sad story, the war. Gary. Very, very sad story. Yes. Uh, involving opiates. Uh, this is about a major Donald Peterson. He survived uh, his service in Iraq and then lost a very ugly battle against opioids when he came home. He returned home in 2005 uh, from a tour in in Iraq, uh, suffering with traumatic brain injury, herniated disc, post-traumatic stress, and uh, opioids became his clutch. Uh, he began to uh, slip into addiction and medical problems. All types arose, and his wife and two daughters became fearful of his presence, and they moved out of their home in Amherst, uh, New Jersey. He's 52 years of age, wow. and he died alone in the, in, at his residence. Now, this is interesting, Gary. His death certificate indicates that uh, he had heart disease complicated by uh, diabetes and the call as the cause of his death. Nothing mm-hmm. mentioned about uh, opioids. Uh, uh, Major Peterson had mentioned to his wife that when he uh, was at Walter Reed Army Medical Center, he told her that they were giving out pills like chiclets. You remember those? those uh, mm-hmm. chewing uh, candies, sure and do. he had become almost totally dependent on them. Sad story, more needs to be done with finding other ways of helping our heroes who have served with these kinds of conditions where pain is involved. That's right. Well, I appreciate those stories each and every week uh, there, Bill. Yeah. And uh, you have the honor of introducing our guest today. And indeed, it's an honor, Gary. We have with us again today uh, Ernesto P. Hernandez III. Uh, Ernesto is the founder, chief uh, executive officer, and a Purple Heart recipient uh, with the Wounded Poor Project. This is a nonprofit that rescues dogs and shelters them, trains them as service dogs, saving a poor to save a life, giving them a second trail tail as a service dog. Previously, Ernesto was the chief executive officer of the Military Order of Purple Heart as the primary liaison with the Department of Veterans Affairs, Congress, Department of Defense, and military services and veterans organizations. Ernesto had a distinguished career in the United States Air Force. He's a graduate of the U.S. 
Air Force Academy in 1994 with a Bachelor of Science and later earned a Master of Business Administration. Ernesto served multiple tours in the Middle East and a wide range of assignments after 9-11. Ernesto was wounded on March 26, 2008, when he used his body to shield the occupants of an open bunker from indirect fire from mortars and rockets at forward operating base Phoenix in Iraq. Ernesto retired from the Air Force in 2016 and focuses on assisting all veterans and their families. Ernesto Hernandez, welcome again to the American Heroes Network. Yes, welcome. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. All right. Now, Ernesto, what, how did this all start uh, as far as uh, coming back and you're going through recuperation, you know, going through all that uh, recovery? Um, and uh, it looks like uh, you were spending more time with your, with your family uh, pet than you were um, with the rest of the family. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, I was wounded March 26, 2008 in Iraq. I was not medevaced out. I was able to hide my wounds. Uh, it's, you know, when you, something like this happens, you know, it just seems surreal. And I didn't believe it happened. I, so I saw a Navy corpsman. He patched me up. And I was able to continue the mission. But what I did was I masked the wounds, and I really didn't want anybody to know about it. Uh, but eventually the wounds surfaced. And around about three years later, in 2011, 2012, these, uh, the shrapnel was moving quite a bit on my back, and it started, uh, the mobility was very restricted. I was able to walk. And then, uh, again, as you mentioned earlier, Bill, regarding the opioids, uh, that was something that was, uh, I was taking on my chiclets, you know, popping on popping just to mask the wounds. But eventually, uh, those wounds surfaced a little too much, including the invisible wounds that comes with it, and I needed to be uh, uh, operated on. But during that time, when I was not able to move properly, even though I claim to be the founder, the founder really is Daisy Rainbow. Uh, she's a mm-hmm. pet turned service dog. She saw the excruciating pain I was in and the mobility issues that I had, and she was actually throwing her tug toy in the bed, and I thought she wanted to play. And I, you know, I was being irate and in pain. I do it down until her stop, and she kept on doing it. And finally, she, you know, she looked at me like, come on, grab the, grab the, the tug toy, and I'll help you out of bed. So that's how Wounded Paul Project started. Wow, you know, Ernesto is, is how you know I can can't see how a dog can sense that trauma in a person, and um, uh, when did you first realize that you know this was actually part of it, a part of uh, part of that animal? They, they could sense it. You know, it's very hard to pinpoint how they know. It's just I've been around dogs in many different animals throughout my whole life, and I've noticed that dogs just have a special appreciation for humans. You know, they want to serve. And with Daisy in particular, uh, she just saw the mobility issues and she vertigo. So when I saw that she was actually trying to help me out of bed, because it would take me literally half an hour to an hour to get out of bed, I started doing stuff like putting different colors, towels on on, uh, on refrigerators, water bottles, medication, the different little stickers. And you know, I would say, hey, go get the blue one. And she knew what it was. You know, Even though they say dogs are colorblind, it's just she knew the shade of color and she was able to... Uh, uh, to distinguish different medications, different apparatuses and, and such that she came about in helping me. And, and that from there, we just started looking at other dogs and say, do, does, is this is just a unique, you know, a unique animal or, or do every dog has a sense of purpose? And I think the latter is the more true. And, uh, and this, this, that's how Wounded Paws Project started. 
and that's how we're growing. That we're proving <laughs> to many that these uh, these 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 well, we do speak. Let me just um, get backtrack because we strictly go rescues, abandoned, abused, neglected dogs in shelters. We don't breed whatsoever, and we think they you know they they know their sense of purpose and they serve a lot better. Yeah, and. Uh... And as far as you know, you, you, I remember reading reading um, your story, and and uh, it mentioned uh, that thing. Somebody, I guess, somebody asked you about breeding, you know, and and it made sense what you said. Came back and and said that breeding, more or less, is uh, something that uh, it's it's not controlled. I mean, you can control the heat or the cold, but you can't control uh, the the dog itself, the animal. Uh, Correct. Uh, a lot of people think you can breed out certain yeah. traits or breed in certain traits, and and I always use the example: a gentleman by the name of Jesse Owens proved that the master race is not the master race. So right. in the nineteen thirty-six Olympics in Germany. Mm. Right. Well, he disproved it. <laughs> yes. Excuse yeah. me. <laughs> mm. All right, uh, Charles. Do you have a, any questions? And Bill. Well, Ernesto, you know, it's amazing. Uh, today I found a, a couple of uh, articles uh, in, in involving dogs. I'm, I, I, I'm, I was really intrigued by a find of a dog up in Mankato, uh, uh, Minnesota, who had been left locked up in his kennels. Uh, and, uh, and apparently the owner had several dogs there and had abandoned the house and they, uh, the dogs were found later uh, in 95-degree uh, temperatures in the house. I mean, just really just wasting away. And uh, this particular dog, uh, Bandit, has now um, been uh, taken in and is being trained to be a service dog. And uh, there's another story here that I uh, discovered uh, back in... Uh, November, uh, just last month at a, a uh, NFL uh, football game with the uh, New York Jets and the Carolina Panthers in East Rutherford, New Jersey, there was a, um, a veteran who needed assistance and uh, during halftime at the, at, the, uh, at the football game, he was presented with his uh, new service dog whose name is uh, Maggie, which is a yellow... Yep. Uh, Labrador Retriever. Uh, this is really amazing. I mean, uh, you know, tell our listening audience a little bit about the training and preparation for these service dogs that uh, you put them through so they can become so valuable and dependable to our veterans who are in need. Sure. This, the first is the selection. Unfortunately, not every dog is going to make a service dog, and Wounded Paws are different. That we do service dogs, which is our premier dogs, and we go down to therapy, comfort, emotional, and different such you know working capabilities or assisting capabilities. But really, once we identify a dog through a shelter, and really, it's, it's, it, there's no science to it. It's just they really gravitate to us, you know, because one, a shelter to a dog is jail. And they don't want to be there. And the difference between a dog is most of the time they haven't done anything bad. They're just surrendered. And they're given to this place that, you know, has bars or cages and they're overpopulated. So once we get them out there, they, you can tell that they just want to, they have a sense of purpose. They want to re, they want to give back and they don't want to return to that shelter. 
So we knew, we'd call them dogs off the shelf, kind of like the military term, commercial off the shelf, where we baseline train them. You know, if they have some aggression issues, some have, you know, they're not really aggressive, they're just scared. So we work with them, get those just temperaments out. Then there's certain commands that we train every dog to. And from there, really, you know, we think, you know, what converts them to a service dog is we find out what the veteran's needs are. Is it mobility? Is it night tremors? What specific purposes dogs? And then we work with the dog to say, okay, does this dog have the aptitude, capabilities to do these certain commands or follow these certain commands? Like the night tremors, those are very unique. And then we train them to that purpose, and then we team them up with the veteran. And what is different is not every dog bonds with the veteran. It's the other way around. The veteran, the dog will come to the veteran and say, yes, you are the, the right master for me. So the training, and to answer your question in a, in a chronological way, is from a rescue identify those traits that we can build upon. Then from those, those traits we build upon, we really can get them to the next level to ensure that they're able to serve that purpose to the veteran. All right. It's a, well, we're gonna, it's a, and how long does this process usually take, uh, Nesto? It depends on the dog. Uh, we try to do it quicker than anybody else. Most people say it's 18 to 24 months for a service dog. Once we get them, they're ready. Most of these dogs are a little bit older, two to three years old. It takes for anywhere between six months to a year on the service dog training, but we're trying to do it quickly. What we utilize, we use professional canine handlers that are deputy sheriffs, some recently retired. So we use people that have worked with dogs and working dogs at a high, high, high level. So when they come to the service dog field, it's not a bringing a notch down, it's to use this skill set because they know they, you know they have X amount of time with this dog in the sense of a lifespan because unfortunately the lifespan of the dog is not as long as ours. So we do a little bit quicker. So I would say the average is nine months. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead. Finish. We're going to go ahead and take a break, and we'll continue on when we come back. You're listening to the American Heroes Network Radio, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. For those corporations or organizations who wish to support our veterans, sponsoring and promotion on the American Heroes Network has never been easier or smarter. As the only network focused to specifically reach the military and veteran population globally. For more information, email us at sponsorinfo at americanheroesnetwork.com. By providing a unique blend of information and advocacy, we are helping our American heroes and their families to heal, successfully transition into civilian life, and to thrive in their communities. This generation will not be forgotten. Today's military are our sons and daughters. Listen live to the American Heroes Network, the worldwide voice for our military families and veterans, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. All shows are archived on American Heroes network.com and syndicated on iTunes. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. 
It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice of America Variety Channel. You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, Back to our program. Welcome back. We're here with our guest, Ernesto, with the Wounded Paw Project. And Charles, you had a question before we went on break. Go ahead. The question was, uh, what are we doing with these new type of dogs that you have, Ernesto, uh, especially the suicide prevention, uh, I guess, adaptive dogs? Um, because I know a couple of cases in Maryland and a couple of cases in in Delaware that these dogs have actually prevented the the warfighter or the soldier from committing suicide. It seemed like it it tipped it it was tipped off somehow by the moods or the actions of the actual veteran and uh, and just jumped in his lap and prevented him from pulling the trigger or from ODing. Uh, so could you explain how? Is this something like a a special thing with the dogs, or is it something that's trained into the dogs? You know, Charles, uh, that's a great, great question, but there's really nothing new to it. It's really, these dogs are here to serve. And I said, once again, we use shelter dogs, and I think the story you're talking about is from our new executive director, uh, Greg Sipple. He came from another service organization. He came to Wounded Paw Project. What it was is he was um, in D.C., and there was a veteran there, and you can just tell he was on the edge, or he could tell. And I'm, I'm speaking for Greg right now, so if I say I, is really right. Greg. Is, so he, he just saw this veteran during Memorial Day, and this veteran was distraught, just on the edge and wiry. And literally, you know, he approached him and let, it, let, it, let Greg know that he had a weapon on him. So he was like, whoa. So he went out to go get one of his dogs, and you know, all of a sudden when he brought this dog, he literally went from you know, suicidal, you know, still had a suicidal thoughts, but he gravitated that dog, and he said he grabbed that dog so tight and hugged it so tight, the dog whimpered for a second, and he was able to disarm him and then get him the treatment he needed. So in the broad question, I think it's not a new dog. It's just when a veteran's by themselves, they're lonely. And a lot of times, including yours truly, you know, we don't want to deal with other people. You know, we'd rather go to the bottle, the opioids, put our hands through walls. But when you see this innocent creature there with four legs and stares at you and has a wet nose and a tongue that just licks you all over, it just gives you the sense of purpose, at least. And, you know, I can speak for myself and I can speak to the veterans that I've worked with. It's just, it's just an amazing bond. I mean, that's what they call a man's best friend. I don't think there's a more resilient creature than a dog, in my opinion. I mean, I'm an animal lover, an activist of all animals, but I think the dog is just such a special bond with a human being that they sense it. I mean, they have this great sense of smell. And with that, you know, there's different hormones, pheromones that come out of the body they exude, and they just can tell. 
Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to empty out as many shelters. And again, we try to make them all service dogs or as much as we can, but we know we've got to bring the tear down, therapy, comfort. And that's the one I think you're alluding to, uh, Charles, sister, comfort dogs and emotional support animals. They don't have the same uh, protection as a service dog, but they're there the more importantly to keep the veteran or family member from committing suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, you see a lot of that right now. Where uh, you know an animal, a dog is wearing a service vest, um, and you can tell it's not a service dog. It doesn't pay attention to the owner. So <laughs> <laughs> the guy's telling him to sit down. He just he starts sniffing everybody. Well, yeah, he starts <laughs> sniffing away. Uh, there's a lot of it going on. So, Ernesto, why don't you tell us the, the uh, how how the organization operates? So you have a, what they call a, a paw principle. Tell us about about that. Sure, the paws are core competencies, and that feeds into our overall mission statement: being saving a paw to save a life. The P is protect. We work with like-minded organizations and law enforcement, and we always and I always tell people this: you don't have to be an animal activist or lover. If you don't like dogs, cats, I get you. But when you see somebody abusing it, this is a gateway for additional ill intents. Basically, yeah. life-weighted crimes. So I'm going to throw a few names. David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, BTK, Raider, you know, Lee Boy Malibu. All these had one common trait. They all abused and butchered and killed animals before they graduated. So when you see that person kicking, abusing, doing whatever bad that your next door neighbor or somebody in the road remember that same person could be one day you know you become a victim of that from a loved one so report it so that's the paw it's the protection and being their voice the a is the hardest part of it the advocacy and that's what i really focus on myself the advocacy is segmented in two parts dog fighting which is becoming an epidemic i mean a huge epidemic that most people don't realize right now they're starting to get dogs to fight with wild boars and with that element, it's a criminal element. Anytime you have dog fighting, there's going to be guns, drugs, thugs, prostitution, and human trafficking. There's, that's a big epidemic in this country that most people are aware of. We traffic over a million, a million people yearly, estimated by the CIA. And then the second part of that is the dog meat. Uh, and this is not dog meat in, East, in, in Asia Pacific, which most people think, you know, China, Korea, you know, uh, the Malaysian Islands and stuff like that. It is here in the United States where it is legal to consume dog and cat meat in 44 states. The only states that have laws banning it is Hawaii, California, Michigan, Georgia, New York, and Virginia. The rest of the states, you can consume dog and cat meat, and there's a huge underground trade for dog and cat meat. So we're working on putting some legislation in place. Now, there are people going to counter me, and I've had a, a classmate from 94. She's a, she's a legislative analyst, and she just said, hey, what about certain people want to eat dog and meat? Well, if we really want to do that as a country, then we need to farm them, do it correctly. You know, don't do this underground trade. And then the last one is the WAGployment. You know, it's a little play on words here. WAGployment is the service dog component, giving them a second tail as a service dog. Now, we know that not every dog is going to be a service dog, and not every veteran needs a service dog, to be honest with you. When I first started Wounded Paul, I needed a true, true service dog. Now, I have different needs, like the night tremors, and I need a different dog. So you don't, you don't see me always bringing a service dog with me. Most people say, well, where's your service dog? Well, 
there's times I need it, times I don't. So I really, I'd rather give a veteran who really truly needs a service dog versus me keeping one for selfish reasons. So that's the, the service dog component, the whack ploying portion. And yes, you mentioned earlier about people just slapping vests on them and these dogs you clearly are not service dog material. Well, we are working in legislation. There's different organizations that we have like-minded you know, ideologies and say, hey, you know, let's not misuse this because it's going to hurt the industry as a whole. So there are several bills in place right now, but we just got to refine them. I don't, I don't want to create another bureaucracy where you have to join this organization to compete against VA dollars to become a service dog. I just want the VA, and Charles, this is a great thing when we see the secretary on the 13th of this yes. month, is to, to bring up that the VA needs to set standards because remember this, this is going to affect the whole industry. Yes, Wounded Paul does service talk for veterans, but we also do for first responders, children, mobility issues. So we do a wide range of, of service dogs for many different people that are not all veterans. So this will affect the service dog industry as a whole under the ADA Act. So hopefully right. I answer your question there, Gary. Oh, yes, definitely. And again, we're going to go ahead and take a break. You're listening to the American Heroes Network Radio, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. By providing a unique blend of information and advocacy, we are helping our American heroes and their families to heal, successfully transition into civilian life, and to thrive in their communities. This generation will not be forgotten. Today's military are our sons and daughters. Listen live to the American Heroes Network, the worldwide voice for our military families and veterans, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. All shows are archived on American Heroes Network. Network.com and syndicated on iTunes. What makes a great leader? Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. For those corporations or organizations who wish to support our veterans, sponsoring and promotion on the American Heroes Network has never been easier or smarter. As the only network focused to specifically reach the military and veteran population globally. For more information, email us at sponsorinfo at americanheroesnetwork.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back. We're here with our guest, Ernesto, with the Wounded Paw Project. And just before we went, well, as we were on a break, uh, Charles came up with a good question as far as other animals. Uh, Charles? Yeah, my question was, Gary, uh, what's the difference between um, a service dog and service animal, or is it strictly, you know, Ernesto, is it strictly to be a service animal? Do you, Is it strictly... strictly about the dog family, or can it be a multitude of different creatures? Because in my travels, different airports, I see everything from service monkeys to service birds. Uh, it just looks like everyone is just slapping a patch on a creature and saying it's a companion pet or a service pet. Is it? Do you think it's being overblown, or you think it's, it needs to be some type of feasible legislation or some type of vetting process? So... Every Tom, Dick, and Harry just don't throw a vest on a creature and say, hey, he's here for my service, rather than what it actually is. That's right. That's a great question. And yes, there is an abuse of service dogs right now. And I'm going to stick with the service dogs. But the way the ADA is defined right now is a service animal. And they're working animals, not pets. Now, I've seen service turkeys. I've seen service service, uh, duck one time on a flight. But the thing about it is, is that the way the Title II title and Title Three of the ADA defines service animals is any dog that trains to perform a task to benefit a person with a disability. And it does define a dog. But the thing is, like I said, it's a service animals too in the ADA requirement. So it's a little, little confusing. So I look at it as if that animal is able to perform a task that directly assists that person with a disability, then yeah, you know, it qualifies as a service animal. But, you know, how do you get a duck to, you know, how do you take measures of a duck to provide a certain task? And that's, that's a hard one, you know, uh, you know, versus a dog can help with mobility, a dog can help with bracing, a dog can help with, you know, spacing. It's, it's a little bit, it's, so there's, for me, a dog is a little bit easier to define it. But what needs to happen is, one, we need to stop, we need to put legislation in place that stops organizations like Take Your Dog Anywhere legally without conflicts. If you go to officialservicedogregistry.com, it, it's on there. You just register it and you get these nice vests and a couple of placards and you can present it. And the second part of that is industry. Industries are currently scared uh, to challenge someone because the airline industry, the food and beverage industry, hotel industries, they challenge you and you sue them. You know, what are they going to do? You know, how do they know for a fact? So there needs to be definitely some legislation put in place to truly define service animals and if we want to bring it to a tier down is what each requirement is. If you want to have a service cat, what is that cat able to do and not able to do as a whole? But like I said, it's a, it's a huge can of worms, Charles. It's a great question. And it's something we're focusing on through some mutual friends that we know that we're going to be walking the halls of Congress. But we're going to focus for Wounded Paw Project six strictly on service dogs. All right, all right. You know, these, these numbers, these numbers dumbfound me as far as 70 million homeless animals in the United States. And, and, and you're also saying that an estimated 8 million end up in shelters and half of them are destroyed every year. How do you go in and choose these animals? How do you walk into a shelter and choose the animals that you want that are qualified enough where you're going to spend the time and, and uh, get these uh, dogs ready? You know, that's, when you asked that question, you just gave me chills because what I want to do is save every dog. I, I want to go in there and, and pull right. them all with me. But unfortunately, Can, the, the, what's that? 
Can you? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can fund us and build some facilities, <laughs> we can get all them out. And, and that's why what makes Wounded Paulo different, because if they don't graduate to be a service dog, we're going to bring a tear down, a tear down, tear down. But we do explain to the folks that those those dogs that are emotional support or comfort are not qualified service animals under ADA. So I make that very clear. But back to your question is, so we go in there is we, we've got to get the low hanging fruit. It's unfortunate we do a battery of tests. I do have a professional canine trainer out of Maryland. He goes with me. I mean, uh, he's been doing this for decades and he just can basically performs a few tasks. Yes, I can train this one. I can train this. So we're trying to, get the low-hanging fruit to open up another space for another dog, and hopefully, you know, we, we can get them out. But our eventual goal is we're opening operations in San Antonio, Texas, and we want to have a, quite a bit of service dogs there. But the, really the issue is the overbreeding of dogs. It's it, Right now Christmas is coming, right. and we're going to go out there and get a puppy, and this puppy is great until, get, until next Christmas, and that, next Christmas that dog will be in a shelter. So we need to look at it as a whole, as a society, and, and, and hopefully put some – some pl- some laws in place at the state level that stops the overbreeding. That's the issue. Those numbers you quoted, they've actually risen. It's closer to 100, 100 million homeless animals. 10% are in shelters and half are destroyed yearly. I mean, they're just destroyed. And there's places such as Harris County in, Texas, in Houston, Texas, Miami-Dade, uh, New York City. I mean, they're just kill shelters. They're just literally just uh, putting them down pretty quickly. Uh, I know it went to a tangent, but we look for the low-hanging fruit, those those, those dogs that we think has the necessary traits to train them quickly. But once they enter the program, we don't send them back. They will forever become Wounded Paul Project dogs. So we'll find a, a, a we'll find them a, a title. We will find them a job for a specific job to do. I'll give you an example. We have a dog that didn't quite make it to be a service dog. They didn't quite make it to be an emotional support animal. I mean, excuse me, a comfort dog. But what it does great is emotional support for children. So we had here in Prince George County, the uh, sheriff's department asked me if we can bring some dogs to their courthouse for children who've been traumatized. And unfortunately, you know, bad things happen. So we take the dog there and are able to at least provide comfort to the, the child during the court proceeding process because it is a very traumatizing time. So we'll find them a specific tax to do in the, in the Wounded Paw Project arena. You know, there's no way to tell if someone comes up at a shelter and they're going to take the animals, uh, dogs or cats, for consumption out of these states that are still illegal, correct? No, there's no way, but most places, the reptile places do have a, uh, a fee, and that fee normally would dissuade people that are coming in to take these dogs to, and cats for a uh, fee butchered. So, oh, but th- that is our next task in here, what Wounded Paul is putting, like I said, state legislator, get, you know, state legislation to stop the dog and cat, you know, put specific laws in place that bans all 50 states from dog and cat consumption. No. Too bad you don't have a dog that can sense that somebody consumes uh, dogs and cats. <laughs> yeah. That'd be all right. Uh, Bill, do you have any questions? Well, I, I, I had a question for Ernesto. You know, I, I, I would imagine that the, the dogs that are in service, we always want them to be at their peak of performance as they work along with the veteran. Uh, tell our listening audience a little bit about uh, how we care for these dogs in terms of their, their, their medical uh, uh, care and uh, regular, I guess, visits with the doctor, just like a, a person. It is. 
Uh, right now, there is one piece of legislation in place that allows medical care for the dog or veterinary care for the dog if you're registered through this one organization called Assistant Dog International. If you are part of the ADI organizations, the VA has recognized them as the sole provider in a sense of sole vetting agency for service dogs. So if you belong to them as a veteran, you do qualify for care, being the veterinary care cost and travel for the dog. But uh, we want to change that. We want to make the VA the lead, not another, another organization, because it's creating too many bureaucracy. But answer the, your question is, you're no different than us. Yearly checkups to including uh, teeth and gum cleaning, just like we do, because that's the biggest health risk for any dog is the, the teeth. you got to get their gums clean and their teeth clean to, to, to extend their longevity, because, you know, service, all dogs in general, their longevity is not very long. It's unfortunate. They're here for a very small snapshot in our lives, but we want to get the most out of them at the same time comfort them as well so routine yearly checkups uh, monthly medications such as flea and tick uh, and, and just checking out and basically keeping them active you got to you got to walk them you can't just become lethargic and sit on the couch with think of the dog it's going to put on a few pounds and you'll put on a few pounds so get them out there to walk get them out there socializing and, and continually doing the upkeep the upkeep being the training you know you can't just you know train them one time and turn over to the veteran that's it you know, it's like us when we wore the uniforms in active duty. We've got to continue to train, to train, to train to keep our peak performance. And it's no different with a service dog and the veterans because they are a, a pair team now. Yes. You know, and, and that's the, one of the amazing things to me that I've observed with dogs and the veterans that they, they serve is that bonding process. And uh, and I'm talking about the, the ability to wake the, the veteran up at an appointed time and maybe even uh, make a phone call, how they work with them uh, uh, or assist them in crowds. Uh, explain uh, to our audience again about how some of the aspects of how that bonding process is uh, acquired. That's a very hard question to answer. That bonding process really is its almost immediate. Uh, the way we do it at Wounded Paw, and it's just the way we do it, is we basically take the person, after we find out specific needs, medication, uh, you know, we set up we set up different tones and alarms for the dog, and the dog recognizes, and, you know, they'll, they'll remind the veteran by pawing or nosy, or we call it nosy-nosy, and say, hey, it's time to take your medication. But truly, that bonding is something that's it's magical almost, is we sit down the veteran, and we bring a, a host of dogs, and we try to limit it to three. And, you know, we all love dogs, I think, in general. And, you know, we see one, like, oh, this is this is pretty boy, you know, pretty girl, and you come here and start stuff. And we let him spend a few minutes, then we bring the next dog, and it's like, oh, my God, this one. And you'll basically you'll see that magical moment when a dog and that veteran just bond. I mean, it, is it, I don't know how to explain it in a sense of empirical data. It's not a science. It's just something that happens. And once that bond is immediate happens, then you can really start teaming them together. Okay, your specific needs and your tasks, night tremors. I use that a lot because a lot of veterans have that. Uh, the medication reminders, or or we call it posting. It's you know being that that barrier between people's coming too close. You know, I know for me, when people get too close, I start you know getting a little edgy, and we put that that posting in front where the dog is that barrier between um, between the, you know the person and, and, and the veteran itself. But, but the body is, the, like I said, it's the most magical portion of this industry. It's just it's amazing to see because you'll see the dog just get this weird, dumbfounded smile and the eyes of the veteran get glazed, and it just is magical. 
<laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a break. We're listening to the American Heroes Network Radio, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. By providing a unique blend of information and advocacy, we are helping our American heroes and their families to heal, successfully transition into civilian life, and to thrive in their communities. This generation will not be forgotten. Today's military are our sons and daughters. Listen live to the American Heroes Network, the worldwide voice for our military families and veterans, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. All shows are archived on American Heroes network.com and syndicated on iTunes. For those corporations or organizations who wish to support our veterans, sponsoring and promotion on the American Heroes Network has never been easier or smarter. As the only network focused to specifically reach the military and veteran population globally. For more information, email us at sponsorinfo at americanheroesnetwork.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. We're here with our guest, Ernesto, with the Wounded Paw Project. Uh, how do you go about fundraising? Now, what different things do you do to get that money rolling and to help out? Sure. That's a, that's, it's with any nonprofit, that's a daily <laughs> tasking. But I'll, I'll share with you quickly what we do different is we do card donations. We have a direct mailer that goes out. We do fundraise, mobile fundraising. We do just like every other nonprofit. But what we're doing different is we're, we're using a trade that is very underutilized to do a majority of fundraising. And what that is is small engines, small engines being snowblowers, generators, lawnmowers. We, uh, we have a for-profit company that actually goes out and services. We team up with other big corporations, as John Deere, uh, Briggs & Stratton, to come see Kohler Engines, and we do some contracts. And through great patriotic Americans, such as Charles Eggleston, he brokered a meeting to work with some government contracts to an 8A and also through disadvantaged, small disadvantaged businesses. So we're gonna, I'm going to use my skill sets from my active duty days of acquisition to additionally help fund this for-profit, getting veterans back to work, providing a, a different type of work, being a trade. You know, not everybody's going to be a white-collar worker. Not everybody's going to be a blue-collar worker. So we're doing a mixture of acquisitions and actually turning some wrenches on small engines. Where at the same time, we take a lot of donations. Uh, we get a lot of snowblowers and generators right now this time of year uh, donated to us. We have then repurpose them, and then we sell them. 
and then that money comes back to Wounded Paul. But don't get me wrong, we still do the traditional fundraising as any other nonprofit, you know, you know, donations in kind, you know, cash donations, you know, web donations. But we're trying to redefine the fundraising model by employing veterans through trades. All right. I'd like to donate Charles Carr. You can do that, ain't <laughs> You got it. <laughs> I got one for you. And I, I really like that, Ernesto, how you put you take veterans that could be in trouble and you make them feel like they're part of a team or you make them feel valuable by reemploying them and teaching them a new trade and just keeping them mobile uh, with their mind as well as with the philosophy itself. You know, that's yeah. great because with most veterans, especially wounded veterans, the sense of purpose is gone. And getting that sense of purpose back says it all in the life of a whole lot of folks. So thanks for doing that. I appreciate it. What Charles alluded to is our mobile service that we currently have going. Is we do have a, a, we have vans going around through Northern Virginia right now. We are expanding, and we're able to get veterans to be feel empowered, and then they're in charge. And what people don't understand is they think of, you know, somebody shows up to fix a lawnmower generator, you know, here's a, you know, back the old term, you know, uh, grease monkeys. And it's not. They're technicians and sponge engineers. And I'm showing that they can make, if they, if they push it, they can make six figures. I mean, I'm kind of following what I, when I saw the Mike Rowe Foundation from Dirty Jobs that he's trying to get plumbers, you know, construction, welders, pipe fitters. And if you look at the Department of Labor Statistics, the least growing field is small engines. The most demand in North America, Canada, United States, Mexico, Australia, Western Europe is small engines. It's a huge need for it because we become such a disposable society and, and, and a lot of people are, are starting to feel a little bit of pinch. Hey, you know, I can't be buying a lawnmower every year. I can be buying a snowblower every year or a generator. So as we talked about the care and upkeep of animals, there's care and upkeep of, of small engines as well. So we're using that model to, I would say about Somewhere between 50 and 70% of our funding comes from that model and empowering veterans as well. All right. Well, we or only have a couple minutes. Okay. Great. Great. We only have a couple minutes left. And, Ernesto, uh, I like to, it was a pleasure having you on our show today. And what would you like to share with our listeners in closing? Well, I would like to share is visit our website, like us on Facebook and Twitter at Saving a Paul. Uh, we're always looking for ambassadors. We are growing nationally. We're looking for ambassadors at state level, at the local level. What there are basically, if there are voice to, out there to assist us, uh, send us an email at info at woundedpawproject.org. If it is the end of the year, if you feel inclined to make a donation, we'll take it. But uh, I, you can tell I have a lot of passion for this. So I'll tell the viewers that for some reason I was going a little too fast. Send me an email. Uh, give me a call. Uh, my phone number is listed on the website. I'll be happy to talk to you, and I'll bring it down a notch. And just, uh, just have a lot of passion for this. I mean, it's a, it's a magical, empowering, great, phenomenal. When you see, you know, you know when you hear the term "saving a paw to save a life," it's a win-win-win situation where we take a shelter dog, rescue dog, abandoned dog, abused dog, neglected dog, retrain them, regain their their trust team of a veteran, and keep that veteran from committing suicide, help that veteran feel that they're whole again. Like I said, it's a win-win-win situation. And thank you all for having me on the show. It's been an honor. All right. All right. Ernesto, again, we want it's a pleasure having you on. And again, what we'd like to have you come back uh, as, as everything is you know, working out better and better for you. Okay. Especially to let us know about uh, fundraisers coming up also. Okay. Will do. 
All right. And Charles, it's been good to have you on a show you haven't been on for a while. Uh, what would you like to say to our listeners in closing? I would like to say I appreciate and I just adore what, uh, what Ernesto is doing in the, community, in the community, especially with the service dogs and comfort dogs, because it makes my job a little easier. But the job of suicide prevention is never easy because it's the hardest battle that we'll ever fight. And in most cases, it's the last battle that you fight. So just thinking about what he does in the community with this organization and the reach of it, it actually gives a, a veteran, a person, a civilian, a new light of life. <clears throat> and it gives them a new detail of life and a sense of purpose. So for me, my organization, and for all what we do as veterans, I want to thank you. The Wounded War and Wounded Par Project. All right. Thanks again, Charles. And Bill? Thank you. Well, Gary, I, I want to thank Charles and Ernesto both for being with us uh, today. I thank them for their service to this great country and, most of all, the service that they provide to our veteran community uh, is just uh, outstanding, and we need more and more of that. And, I, you know, I, I'm going to offer up a challenge to both of these guys. Since we're going to be in a mutual meeting here not too long, Next week, I think it is, and uh, I believe I heard that the Secretary of Veterans Affairs is going to be there. You know, you ought to extend him an invitation to come on the American Heroes Network uh, and to uh, talk to our veterans. No other uh, uh, media outlet uh, uh, other than uh, that uh, can do this like the American Heroes Network, powered by the Voice of America, to, uh, to get this uh, information out to every state in the country and 98 countries around the world. So uh, let, let's think about that next week. Thank all you right. guys for coming on. We appreciate it. All right, and thanks to all our listeners You're and welcome. supporters. Thanks to all our listeners and supporters. And remember, we spotlight and promote the best available information of interest to America's veterans and their families anytime, anywhere, and on any mobile device. I'm Gary Ray, along with my co-host Bill and our guest, Ernesto and Charles. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next week. Be safe out there. Thank you again for joining us for this week's edition of American Heroes Network. Please join Gary Ray again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week. We are America, and we truly